Uh, You heard the text from the video, the book of Acts. Now, we're in between Jonah and the Sermon on the Mount. And we did not know, I did not know that this was going to be the Sunday that we would be back in the room. Uh, So I had a a conversation, a brief uh, passage and just topic to discuss with you guys. Uh, I guess discuss is the wrong word because you're not probably talking back to me right now. But in my heart, it's a discussion. Uh, But I wanted to go back to just habits of the faith family, the church. You know, we preached almost almost two years ago to the day um, we preached this passage. So it's, I think, like September 16th or something like that. So we're almost two years ago to the day we went through this passage, uh, and I wanted to revisit it. I want to revisit it because I think very often we as a church family kind of forget both the power that we have and what that does, how that manifests itself in us, especially at a time where we're all on, or many of us, on pins and needles about how we are to operate and live faithfully as a church. So I first wanted to read uh, this passage, Acts 2, 42 through 47, uh, and then go, Lord, with this, what, how can we, in our era, in our time, in our habits, in our kind of uh, pandemic world, how can we learn from what our early brothers and sisters did all the time, and how can we adjust how we live to accommodate that? So Acts 2, 42-47, if you don't remember what happens in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. Pretty important day, day of Pentecost, uh, which is a Jewish observance, but the Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, uh, which is after the ascension of Jesus, Right? So we're uh, going about, I think, 10 days, if I remember my, do my math right, but after the ascension of Jesus, they have been waiting and they have been praying and the Spirit comes and uh, they are all now filled with tongues of the languages around them and they're speaking in uh, these languages and people who are all there in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost are hearing these languages and they're hearing the goodness of God proclaimed in their language. Now just imagine that you are in uh, a... a city or a state or a country where no one speaks English, and then all of a sudden, out of of a rumble comes people who are clearly talking to you and speaking about things in English, and they have no background in it, they have no, they don't, they're not native English speakers, you just start hearing things like that. That was the day of Pentecost. All these people are there, and they're hearing preaching and proclamation of good news in their native tongue. Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost and tells them about the Lord Jesus and what Jesus had done for them and how Jesus has saved them, how he was crucified, dead, and buried. And though uh, people like uh, David are also over there, David's in the city of David, he's buried, he's no longer with us. Jesus rose, Jesus ascended, and salvation is his. And the people are cut to the heart, the people listening go, well, what should we do? Which, how, how do we respond to this? How do we, how do we live uh, now that we know this? And Peter says in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so after that happens, and uh, there were about 3,000 people added to their numbers, we kind of get a snapshot of just how these people were operating. That's our passage today. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. 
And all who believed were together, <clears throat> they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Pray with me. Father, as we get into this passage this morning, as a church family together, filled with your spirit, sealed with your spirit, secure in your spirit, when we read this passage, Lord, and we hear from you in it, we ask for your grace to be given and for us to understand what you would have for us. So help unite our hearts, uh, give us a unity that only comes through a work that you can do. We praise you for it. So guide our time, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So, we have been in a time, maybe let's just say the past five or six months, roughly, give or take, where we have been living differently, where we have been thinking about different things, and where we uh, see people looking different throughout the day, right? Like, you look at me here, and you're like, you know, Hans doesn't, that's upside down, Hans doesn't have his... Right? And you're like, who's that? And I have to take my glasses off because they're all foggy uh, if I do that. So my glasses are always right here when you see me in a grocery store or wherever else because I just haven't, I haven't quite figured out how to be a mask wearer and a glasses wearer at the same time. Uh, I always feel like it's because I don't have enough money. Like I can't buy the lenses that do it. But it seems like this is just a problem that everybody has. Our glasses fog up. Uh, but where we go and how we go and what we do and where we do it and with whom we spend time and <clears throat> a lot of questions that you might even ask your friends like, hey, is it okay if? <clears throat> are you comfortable with? What if we do this? Is that okay with you? Like, are, and all the kind of questions that we ask ourselves, <clears throat> not only that, but all the kinds of ways that we are trying to honor one another, all the kind of things that we feel about stuff. This is actually not new for the church. Uh, the church has had to deal with pandemics before. They've had to deal with uh, people dying before. I mean, we could go back to the church during the bubonic plague, if you'd like. Uh, bubonic plague, <clears throat> pretty big deal. Um, you know, it could have wiped out half of Europe's population. And during that time, the church was uh, trying to figure out how to get people to live together. They thought maybe if we gathered more, that would be better. Uh, you know, let's, let's really beseech the Lord together and confess our sins. And maybe if, if we did that, then we would be uh, forgiven of this plague, whatever's coming upon us. And so it uh, doesn't really seem that that was the, I mean... Wisdom is maybe the wrong word, but I don't think the strategy necessarily worked in regard to the reduction of the loss of life. But that was also a pretty big thing. People still get the plague today. You know, it's only in 2020, though, that we get really nervous about it and it makes headlines. Uh, but that always happens. Like, it still happens that people still get it. We just can treat it way better. Um, <clears throat> how about, remember the Spanish flu? I mean, that's like the first thing that we think about 100 years ago, 1918, Spanish flu. Wiped out a ton of people. <clears throat> and it was interesting to see the way the church tried to respond to that. There were orders that churches shouldn't have public gatherings, and uh, some churches said, I think that's ridiculous, and other churches said, okay, that's totally fine, let's do that. Um, and then uh, there were people who thought masks are ridiculous, we don't need to wear those, and there was like a whole groups of people, they were like the anti-maskers, there were whole groups of people that thought it was fine. Does this sound familiar to any of us? Like, uh, this is a way that people have always operated, Something's going on in the world that really is a result of just the world being fallen. It's what it is. Like, it's because the world has fallen. You know, it's like, well, what do I do? Or what about this? Like, the world's fallen. Illness exists. 
Uh, It's always there. Sometimes it's heightened and we realize it. And then we try to adjust. So all of these things have been happening. And then COVID hits. And COVID has lasted for longer, you know, not than the plague, but longer than maybe any of us have wanted it to. And we're trying to go, uh, what's, what's better? What's not better? How do we respond to this? And should have churches met? And it's always funny to like ask people's reasoning. on like, well, should they have met like they usually do? I mean, I think I've already said that. Like, like we're usually doing or in this fashion. Uh, and everyone has different opinions, don't they? They kind of go like, well... I think, you know, my, 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 my statement has been, unless you have firmly believed that the church should have never stopped gathering in their buildings, unless that is like your number one position, that should have never stopped, then all you are on is a sliding scale of how long do you go, right? So unless it's that position, like, well, how many is it? One Sunday, two Sundays, three Sundays, four Sundays, 12 Sundays, 500 Sundays? Like, like how many times do you go? So unless you just go, we should have never stopped, no one ever should have stopped, we're all being disobedient, unless that's your position, then somewhere in between is where you are. And all you really do, or all we like to do, is demonize the people who have gone longer than us and mock the people who have gone shorter than us. Like, that's just what our flesh seems to do. So, yeah, well, my church is mad. How come yours hasn't? You know, or you guys are already meeting? I think you're crazy. Like, all those things start to bubble up and how we do. And it's interesting how external pressure brings a lot of our own flesh convictions and oddities out. Because we're kind of living at a spot of hyper stress. So when I read a passage like Acts 2, 42 through 47, I want to think about it together as a church family and go, okay, Lord, what do we see the Spirit doing in the community? And, and what implications does that have for us as people sealed with your Spirit? Now, we have to remember, like, the book of Acts, it's very funny because sometimes we will read it descriptively and sometimes we'll read it prescriptively. We'll go, oh, well, we must do all of these things in this way. Uh, but just, just a reason we can't do that is because we don't have temple courts, right? And neither do they anymore. Like, the temple courts got destroyed in 70 AD, so the temple courts, as they would be using them, uh, yeah, not, not the same kind of thing. <laughs> Uh, so, so we don't have those kinds of rhythms, but they had a way that they would operate. So I want us to look at the church's habits. This is a passage if you're in church life, you might be familiar with. You've gone, oh yeah, I I totally know that. But let's just think about this passage and what it might mean for believers in Jesus who are in a time of heightened stress, who are living with, many of us, a certain level of anxiety or depression or frustration about job loss or potential job loss. And we're just kind of sitting there going, I don't know what to do with all that's going on. What can we glean by God's grace from seeing the habits of the early church and go, what, you know, what Lord might you have for us? And I want to start with just verse 42, which is this, is that we devote ourselves to transformative habits. Now, when I mean transformative habits, the Spirit has done the transformation in these people, right? The Spirit has done the marking. The Spirit has done the sealing. The Spirit has done the filling. They are the Lord's. But then there's still that phrase, right? They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. And we can't neglect the fact that believers, if I ask you like, it's always funny, I talk to my friend Paul David about this all the time. I go, hey man, you know, how's your whatever, Devo life, or how's your whatever, how are you feeling, how's your walk with the Lord? And he's like, oh, 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 not as good as it could be. I mean, who hasn't given that answer? Not as good as it could be. Could always be better. I could always read more. I could always, 
you know, uh, pray more. I could always serve more. I could always evangelize more. I could always be happier. Like, we always have these, I could always mores. And I get, I get that feeling. But the first thing that you see in this early group of believers is that they were devoted to certain habits. Now, let's look at what those are. They devoted themselves first to the apostles' teaching. Apostles' teaching was the authoritative proclamation of the person and work of Jesus Christ. So at that point in time, the New Testament epistles are not written, though we're talking historically, like in that point in time in history, the epistles have not been written, the letters have not written, so the gospels had not been written, and so these people are devoting themselves to the authoritative teaching that the apostles bring. And who were apostles? But they are ones who were with Jesus, saw Jesus, delegated by Jesus to go out with authority and to teach and to proclaim and to preach. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which was centered on the work of Jesus for them and what God was then doing in the world. So their first habit was a devotion. Now, what we have today is what? We have the apostles' teaching. We have the authoritative teachings about Jesus from the apostles, We have Paul, we can listen to him. We have what the church has recognized as those spirit-inspired words that then teach us about our Savior, show us uh, light and darkness, our need for redemption, teach us how to live, teach us about good belief and good practice within a church. And so we can, though we're not sitting there going, hey, you know, Paul, who wasn't there at the time, he shows up in Acts chapter 9, so just go with me. But, you know, teach me something. What have you heard about Jesus or what have you seen? Now we have the record of those things and we don't need in that sense, to kind of just wait for somebody to come teach us because we have the scriptures which are our our guide. Now, the Lord gives teachers to the church, pastors, gives people to instruct who are gifted in it, but they're not instructing on anything new. I think you've heard me say this before. I was just quoting a guy on it, Um, just quoting a, a, a Greg Odin, not Greg Odin, Thomas Odin. Greg Odin is somebody else, right? Thomas Odin. Uh who said, I have a goal, and he has since passed, I have a goal of making no new contribution to the faith. Meaning, I don't want to say anything new. I don't want you to go, oh, oh, right? You get that little liver quiver where somebody says something, and you're like, oh, interesting. I've never actually put those things together. When you look at it like this, and you hold it upside down, and you do that, and you kind of get your Bible out, and then you look at the light a funny way, and then you watch Fox News, and you do that, and then all of a sudden, it all makes sense. He said, I want to make no new contribution. I want the things that you hear from me to be the things that everyone has always heard. Because that's really what gives life. So the devotion to the apostles' teaching is that continual attention given to the scriptures so that you can understand person and work of Jesus and its implications for his work in the world. So that's a pretty transformative habit. That is why you'll have us talk about things like the F260 or our reading plan or our memory work. We do those things not because we're like, hey, if you do this, you'll be super Christian. Like, that's not our goal. But because that's a, a simple habit, and very often we don't lack desire, we lack tools. We lack ways to think about it. We lack structure. And so this is just a simple structure to march you through the scriptures in a deliberate pattern together, not because uh, we think that, you know, September whatever's reading is going to be the one you need, but because just that steady habit 
of going through, journaling over, writing about, memorizing the scriptures does work in you because that is what the Spirit has given us for our life. And my guess is, you don't have to you know, say anything, my guess is if you have been with us last year for the F260 and you've been sticking with it this year in the F260, that you have seen your confidence in the scriptures increase, your dependence upon the scriptures increase, your ability to speak with the other brothers and sisters about the, script, like, uh, sisters about the scriptures increase. You've seen some of that, I would guess. You, you've gone, man, I haven't memorized this many passages in a while. Now, not saying I remember them all, but I can't, you know, I haven't actually spent this much time reading. I haven't spent this much time talking about the scriptures. And I don't know how long, right? Tricked you, right? Like that's the whole goal is just to create a habit of reading and disciplining ourselves to be devoted in a direction so that we can see the work of Jesus, talk about the work of Jesus, and by his grace be continually sanctified by his work. So they devoted themselves to this. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, which is not just like this sitting around and talking, but the actual sharing of life. The actual sharing of life. The sharing in sufferings. The sharing together of that life that you have. Okay, so we have a lot of you know, good days or average days, and you probably don't remember those that often. You remember the tough days, harder days, the suffering days, the uh, wearying days. You remember those, don't you? And when you have people around you who love you and support you and care about you and talk to you and are there for you and they pray for you and they're committed to you and they're concerned about you and they're listening to you and they're talking to you and they're meeting with you and they're reminding you of what God says, when you have those things in your life, it is a gift. But you have to be devoted to it because we don't like to be that exposed We don't like to share that much. It is uncomfortable for me to talk about need, to talk about life, to talk about my marriage, to talk about my kids. It's weird when you guys hear pastor has this kind of uh, sin pattern or habit or bent or whatever, like flesh patterns. Like it's weird to talk about those in my D group or other people to say, this is kind of what I'm going through. Please don't tell anybody else so I don't get fired. Just kidding. You know, I'm not that bad. Not hiding anything. Uh, but it is that odd feeling, right? It is, a, it is a way that kind of makes us go, I don't really want it. I don't want to be, I don't want to have that. I don't want people to know me that well. I don't want to be, I don't want to be that, right? That's a devoted, I have to be in it. The mindset is I must be a part of this. So to the teaching, the fellowship, the deep sharing of life, the breaking of bread. And I think you heard, you heard Lindsay say it in the video, uh, but right, like some people go, oh, that's communion. Other people go, that's meals. I would go, that's probably meals. And if it ended in communion, then great. But it's actually just the eating together. The eating, I mean, who doesn't enjoy eating together with other people? Maybe not right now. We're like, oh, oh, give me that, right? Like we're a little nervous about everything. So uh, maybe, maybe sitting around a table with a bunch of folks is not like our priority one. Uh, but sitting down with somebody and hearing what's going on and actually eating, it, it, it can really be significant for the goodness of your heart and your growth in the Lord. If that meal or that time, and we will go to a time of communion after this, if that time together ends in a communion and remembering the Lord's work, man, the significance only increases. So they're devoted to the breaking of bread, the being together, the sharing of items, the sharing of food. Breaking of bread and then to prayers. The devotion to prayers. Praying 
together, praying for the Lord's return. If you go through the book of Acts, you will see specific prayers they pray, and they lift it up and they said, right? Acts chapter 4, I believe, is one of my favorite prayers because persecution is going on, and they just ask for more boldness. They're like, you just make us more bold, Lord. Like, keep doing it. Uh, so, you know, like, apostles are getting put into prison, and they're like, yeah, let's go, let's go. Like, come on. And so I see that, and they're praying together. So these transformative habits are ones, right, teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer, they're devoted to them. So when I see a faith family, a devoted faith family, and they have specific habits that the Lord has put in them because we have his spirit and we're unified in his spirit, I go, okay, well, what does a pandemic change about that? What might a pandemic change about that? And the answer, I think, is only your approach. You don't stop doing those things. You don't stop engaging in those ways. You might reduce the size. That's fine. You, you might reduce the size. You might go, hey, we're going to have, you know, eight people over. We're not going to have 35 people over. I, I hope we don't stop praying for one another. I hope we don't stop checking in on one another. But I do get a little concerned that perhaps we have. Uh, because what happens, and I can be uh, tempted to do the same thing, is that when something like this hits that might be stressful or anxiety-producing, where do we generally go but just kind of inside ourselves? We're only thinking about what's going on with us and our needs and our stress and our frustrations, but what do we really need and what is actually life-giving but is to continue to be concerned about others, to continue to pour out into others, to continue to check up on others? to continue to be interested in others. And it's always like, church life is always like this funny little dance. Um, and what I mean by that is this, it always feels like, and this is just kind of behind the pastor curtain, but it always feels like there's kind of a group of people that's like, nobody loves me, nobody cares about me. And, and I might respond to that with like, man, I hate that you feel that way. I really hate that you feel that way. Um, how have you been engaging folks? Like, like what, what has been going on in your life and in your heart? How have you been interacting with your community group and how have you been following up with people and it often, not exclusively, but often ends with I haven't. And I'm not to say that one is right and the other is necessarily wrong, but it's funny because we will often feel like the, right, the, like the, the victims or the, they like, like our church is not treating us appropriately or in a certain way and that could well be true. I mean, hear me, anybody, inside, outside, online, we have said it before, we will fail you as pastors. We will fail you as community group leaders. We will fail you as other brothers and sisters because there's only one person who hasn't failed and it's the Lord Jesus. And so we will not be everything that we need to be at the right time. There will be things that we forget. There will be things that we don't show up to. There will be times that we probably should have said, how are you, and didn't. And we will all be that for one another, won't we? We've probably all been that for one another. But my heart for us is to go in a, you know, in a pandemic, we don't adjust, or we don't stop, we just adjust. We adjust. So you might have more phone calls or text conversations or Zooms or whatever else. Or you go, like I had a member meeting or a member interview a couple weeks ago in my neighborhood. I got my chair, I walked over to their house, and I set up in the front yard, and we had a member interview in a front yard because that's an easier spot to have a member interview right now than in a house. It just kind of puts people more at ease. Like, and I say this, nothing is stopping you, nothing is stopping us from doing the exact same thing, from showing up to somebody's house and going, how are you? What's going on? How could I pray for you? Somebody stopped off at my house recently and brought me ice cream. Ice cream. And we've been eating it. 
Um, so, uh, like, like, there's just little things that you can do that remind your church family that you are here and that you care about them. How can I pray for you? How can I respond? Uh, if you have gotten those church texts like, hey, how can we pray for you, which you send out about every other week, uh, like, those are real, like, we really do pray for you. <clears throat> we respond to those. If you, if you have actually texted something in, you know we respond to it. Like, we listen to what's going on, and we, I share those with the elders, whoever's reading them. Like, we post those so people can see them, and we can be praying for you. But it's interesting because we probably get five people respond out of 100. Five. Um, and that's like a good day. It usually is like three. <clears throat> and the five are usually the same. And so sometimes I get a little concerned that we're actually not availing ourselves to all that exists for us in the church family. <clears throat> and we might be hanging, ourselves, like hanging too much expectation on 75 minutes. Now, don't hear me say something that I'm not, but I'll have to, I want to clarify that. This gathering, gathering publicly for worship together with your church family, taking communion, uh, rejoicing together, it is different. I mean, many of you who have not been in this room for months and months probably recognize that there's something different about just being together. It's not about the space, right? It's not about, not about this room or those walls or the sound system, but it's about being together. That's, that's the unique part. And so I don't want to diminish this, but I do get concerned that other brothers and sisters, that, that we are sometimes hanging so much expectation on what 75 minutes is for the rest of our week. So much expectation on what that is for all the rest of our Christian life. That if we don't actually think about it as a part of devotion, a commitment to living in a certain way, we're going to miss out. And I'm going to show you that as it keeps going. Look at verses 43 through 47. We'll see, we express ourselves, so we devote ourselves one, we express ourselves, what happens in radical unity. That's what the Spirit is doing. Verse 43, all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs are being done through the apostles, which is always an interesting thing because you don't see just everybody doing signs and wonders. You see the apostles doing signs and wonders and then uh like so it's not like hey man give me that but like the, the work is often that uh work is happening through the apostles so all was coming upon everybody many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and they had everything in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and they were distributing the proceeds to all as any had need day by day attending the temple together Temple courts, that's where they were because they didn't have church buildings, right? Like they, they, had, a, they had a public, big, big temple courts. Temple courts and breaking food in their homes, they received their food, or breaking bread, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all the people. Do you see the, the unity that is going on there? That the fellowship is actually now expressing itself and the sharing of things? Like, hey, come over. Come over, do this, have this. I've talked about the church that I went to one time where they just gladly all share their you know, little keypad codes with their church members. Like, hey, I need to go get my laundry out of your uh, washing machine. Oh yeah, sure, code is blah, 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 blah. Uh, and like, just, just go grab it. And, and we think, we really do, I think sometimes think that that's so far off, but it's really not. It's really not that far off to say, we made too much food. We're going to bring you some. It's, that's not crazy. And, but we have this kind of, I don't know what it is, maybe it's like southern politeness thing where you're like, oh, no, 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 you got to ask. And this is something that Courtney and I, uh, she doesn't necessarily love that I do this. 
But I am, uh, she's not inside or outside right now, so I feel safe. I'll hear about it at home. Uh, but I'm, I'm pretty obnoxiously persistent. I'm like, I don't care if they don't want the food. I'm going to bring it to their house. They can throw it away. Uh, like, whatever it is, like, I'm going to do it. Why? Because I'm not really concerned about the food. I want to see somebody and look them in the eye. Right? Or, or, or I want them to know that we care about them enough to do that. I will drive over to your house and say hello to you. You know, that kind of thing. I will come see you. I'll sit in your living room. I'll stay six feet away if you need me to do that. Like, I will do that. Because there's awe and wonder that we see because God's power is a sharing of possessions. And there's this day-by-day aspect. Not week-by-week. Day-by-day. Day-by-day. Just like breathing. You don't just breathe on Sundays, do you? Like, hey, I, I save all my breathing for Sundays. It feels better when I do it that way. Like, that's sometimes our reasoning. I just save all my breathing for one day. Day by day, living life, being together. The funny thing is, it becomes what seems to be incredibly ordinary, but it's not. It's totally otherworldly to live in a way that regularly has you interacting with, sharing with, caring for, being interested in other people, that you discipline your life and your structures and your habits not around yourself but around others. And they're praising God. They are worshiping God. They are grateful to God for what he has provided and what he is doing and how he is living. And they find themselves having favor with all kinds of people. So they have this unified life. They're devoted to certain habits. Those habits, you see the way they live. They're expressing themselves in unity. This is all brought along by the spirit of Christ, which is in them and manifesting these things and teaching them and instructing them in the way that they are to live. And yet so often, I don't know the, the right next step for every single person in this room, but so often, we, we want something out of our Christian life, our walk with the Lord, our identity in Him. We want something that is, what I would say, hear me say this, like this, so far below what God wants it to be. Like if pandemic life has us like down here, we just kind of want church life to get us here. But I promise you, like the Lord wants it up here. He wants it so far beyond so often how we view it. He wants, he wants so much more interaction, so much more care, so much more, so many more conversations with one another, praying for one another, being with one another, like breathing. And then what do you do? But as the passage ends, you see God work in salvation. So there's a devotion, there's an expression, but then God is doing something. And the Lord, the last half of verse 47, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Because remember, salvation is a work of God's, it's not a work of man's. So I can try as much as I want, I can share, I can pray, I can talk to somebody about Jesus, I can tell them that the Lord is good, I can say, please believe, turn to Jesus, trust in Jesus, I can say all of those things. But I can't make a dead person come alive. It's a work of God. 
but it's almost, almost shown as, as resultant, like the result of the believers living the way that they're living, interacting in the way they're interacting, because their lives are public, their conversations are public, but these are really sometimes weird things to do. They're weird for me sometimes. Like, let's just say you're at a restaurant, indoor, outdoor, I don't care what restaurant, wherever you are, wherever you're with the people, in whatever context you want to be at a restaurant with somebody. Uh, but it's, it's, it's an odd question, maybe even in that, to go, hey, we're about to pray for our meal. How can we pray for you? Like, yeah, you don't have to, you know, Jesus juke them. Like, you just, like, like you really sincerely mean it. <laughs> how, could, how could we pray for you? Uh, I have certain friends who, I don't know if they know the Lord, but from time to time, I just shoot them a text and go, I was praying for you this morning. Do you need, do you need, do you need prayer for anything? What's going on in your life? Like, been thinking about you. Uh, so it's funny because once they know that, sometimes, very infrequently, but sometimes they actually start sharing. I mean, people go, hey, well, this is going on in my life. Could you pray for that? Or uh, this is happening. Could you, could you pray for that? As you just start living, living that and discussing it and being with others and just kind of having it be a part of your life, you see the Lord do things that you would have never anticipated he do. You see him act in ways that you would have never expected him to act or anticipated that he would act. So there's the devotion of habits, there's the expression of unity, there's seeing God save people. That's what the Spirit does through a church. That's how the Spirit operates in God's people. It doesn't need uh, the declaration by a governing authority to be essential or non-essential. Because the Lord declares it as his mechanism to bring men, women, and children of all nations to the saving knowledge of his son. It doesn't need a specific address in order to function. Genesis Community Church has as many addresses as members have households. That, those are our addresses. We just put this one because it's easier because you probably don't want to be getting our bills. But we have as many addresses as our members have, have addresses. That's it. We have as much square footage as our members have houses. We have as big a yards as that could be. When you think of what we actually have and how we actually live, there is so much more to Genesis than this moment. But this moment, we would agree, is significant. My burden as we live through these times is that we don't try to reduce our faith to something so measurable that we miss out on all that God does through his people. And so I want to first just say this, as, I guess by way of reminder of the passage, is realize, realize what's at your disposal. First and foremost, the Holy Spirit is in you if you have trusted in Jesus, like the Spirit is there. And so I always say, I believe you want these things because the Spirit's in you if you've trusted in Christ. Now, that might be dulled because you have been living in the flesh or trying to live out your own desires, like you just have been dulled by inattention to these devoted habits. That could be the case. The New Testament will talk about becoming dull of hearing. We're not, we're, not, we're not thinking in tune with the scriptures. We're not interested in those things. But realize what's at your disposal. First is the spirit that has transformed you and marked you. And then secondly, it's the people who have joined you. So in that regard, I'm going to ask you the one question, which is like, what is just one way that you could make your faith more daily in regards to how it interacts with others? 
What is one way that you can make your faith more daily in how it interacts with others? And I don't mean <clears throat> I don't mean that you have to go, well, let me get the member role and I'm gonna just start calling each one of those people every day. I'm gonna make <clears throat> eighty, you know, nine phone calls a day or whatever it is, and just check in on everybody every day. Because what happens is like we go, okay, well, I'm functioning, I need to engage more. And then we go to like, well, I'm just going to engage everybody all the time then. And then we realize we can't do that. We get super discouraged and we burn out. <clears throat> so I just go, where has the Lord already put you? What neighborhood do you live in? What community group are you part of? If you're in a D group, what D group are you part of? If you're serving in <clears throat> first impressions or you're serving in kids or you're a leader of some kind of ministry and there's people that you see regularly or you see irregularly, how could you create one more contact point with them? One more interaction. And, and, and this is what I want you to discipline yourself to do. Do not make the interaction about you, but about them. It's not, how can I tell one more person what's going on in my life? But it's, how can I become interested in what's going on in one more person's life? And that's the hard thing. Because it's so hard to, like, like I, so often people are sharing what's going on with them. And you can, if you go back through my text message combos, you'll see this. So it'd be like, oh yeah, man really got over an illness. I'm like, talk about illness. My kids have been sick, right? Like, like you know, like we, somebody says this and all of a sudden we flip it and we make it about us. Just, it's just a funny way the flesh operates. Like we're like, it's because it's so self-absorbed. And so somebody's pouring out their heart to you and you go, yeah, I mean, I totally been there like three months ago when we were doing this thing and we were going through that. And maybe you think you're trying to be helpful, but really you're just trying to, to make it about you, right? Be interested in other people because they're people who are marked by the grace of God too. I don't, I don't know what that might be for you, but just ask the Lord, Lord, how can I make my faith more regular? And I don't mean more, uh, more sure. So if you believe in the Lord Jesus and it's sure, I just mean how can I express it in a more regular way with those who are in my life? And uh, we, I have said to many people these words before, but I'm going to say them again as we uh, finish out. So, uh, I'm going to give you five words that I hopefully can help you think about that uh, because we've worked on this really over a year. Uh, we talk about it. So many of you have heard these things. If you haven't heard these things, that's okay. I was going to give you five, <clears throat> five kind of words and really four structures, but there'll be a fifth. Uh, and we'll call it just our disciples pathway. And what we mean in that as a church is these are the structures and kind of things that we see clearly in the book of Acts. We're going to try and put some, some structure to so that we might be able to avail ourselves to the opportunity, right? Like, we can't ensure growth happens in certain contexts. But we can say, if we're trying to engage with people in certain spheres, that there's probably a better chance than if we fully disengage. So those five words are disciples pathway, uh, and there's like a little, you know, uh, we're going to update our website soon, and you'll see it there. Uh, but those five words are worship, connect, grow, serve and go. So worship, connect, grow, serve and go. Five five things. Now, <clears throat> I said they're also kind of structures. They're not only these things, but they help when you think about them in these things. So, wor our worshiping life, we absolutely want the worship service to be a part of what we do. Uh, if we had to move it online, we know that that is a that, that's a uh, a less than ideal situation. That's not what we want to be doing heard of brothers and sisters who have invited other people from their church family over to their house on a Sunday morning so they could watch the service together, which like you can totally do. 
Uh, if you go, hey, you know, I don't want to be with everybody, but I'll grab, you know, these three families from my community group, and we'll come over, and we'll watch the service and participate in it together. Like, that's, that, that can happen. So the worshiping life of the church, where we remember the work of Jesus, we hear from the scriptures, we take communion together, that's an important part of what we do. And so we engage in that habit. Uh, connect is our community group, right, or our community group structure. So if you're not in a community group, uh, they're meeting at different, you know, at different frequencies right now. Uh, but we have community groups where people want to connect with you, leaders who are interested in your life, and that gives you another set of relationships, right? So you're in this environment, in like peak, you know, pre-COVID, like 150 to 160 people. You don't know 150 to 160 people. You got all those other things you're trying to keep up with too. So you know a pocket of those people, likely people in your community group. So that's another place where you get to hear what's going on. You discuss the scriptures and you talk about life and you kind of pray for one another, right? So now we've moved to just a Sunday habit to a Sunday habit with something else relationally connecting us. Uh, Third, grow. I've talked about D groups before. We have about 40 people in D groups right now, which stands for discipleship groups, which are a weekly meeting around our reading plan where we journal, we discuss, we we say the verses we're trying to memorize, uh, sometimes we need mulligans. I need, no, sometimes I need mulligans. Good guys, I just failed it this week. Uh, but we have this, that structure, which is a weekly, hour, hour and a half meeting. No kids around. It's just men meeting with men, women meeting with, meeting with women. It's a small group of folks, usually flowing from a community group, but not necessarily. And now you have, right, another touch point. And with every touch point, your connection to the church family, right, like the scriptures talk about, cord of three strands, like the more interactions and relational connections we get with people, the more this begins to feel like our family. The fewer relational connections we have with one another, the much easier it becomes to tap out, to say I'm done or I'm out or whatever else. So, so we have that, we have our a D group structure, which is kind of an invite thing, and as we get to the end of the year, into next year, we'll be launching new ones again, and so we'll have more spots to connect that serve, we've talked about service opportunities. Serve in first impressions, serve in our kids' ministries, serve uh, in the cleaning crew. This building got spick and span uh, before Sunday because of people who had joined up with the cleaning team, right? And you go, oh, that's just cleaning the building. No, 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 no. Like to have a space that we can walk into confidently on a Sunday and go, as far as we can tell, and as much as we are able to control, this is as clean as we can get it. Right? Like we're, we're, we're providing that. So to think that that's not an area of service, it certainly is. But when you're cleaning with somebody, you got your mop or whatever else, and you're beside them and you're talking, isn't it so much more than cleaning? We're no longer just cleaning, right? Like now we're talking, now we're, now we're sharing, and all of a sudden it gets cleaned in the process. And when those little flips happen, then you realize that the Lord is doing something far beyond the cleaning, right? Like the video is not just about the nail, right? Like, like uh, it's not really about the cleaning, but the serving with others connects us together, right? So your worship service, your community group, your D group, an opportunity to serve. And now, if something is going on in your life or there's something that you need to talk about, there's people all around who are interested in those things. There's leaders who care about you. There's other folks that you can talk with. And then finally, go are our evangelistic opportunities, opportunities to serve with the specific goal of preaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus to others. I'm going to meet uh, this week uh, with one of our elders. We're going to discuss ways to create better structures so that we can say, hey, I want to be in ICX more regularly. I want to serve in this way, or I want to be a part of this outreach or that. 
Uh, but then when you take those five ideas, and you might not ever hit all five, but my guess is if you're hitting three of those structures, you are in relational touch points that will keep you going throughout the week. Even though you might only be in three meetings, you're going to be in relationships with brothers and sisters who are going to know what's going on in your life throughout the week. The hardest part, I think, for us on that first word, devoted, the hardest part for us is mindset. It's not the Spirit. Spirit's there. Spirit's done the work. The Spirit has sealed us. The Spirit has marked us. We belong to the Lord. Like, like that, that doesn't change. The hardest part becomes the mindset of, I am stepping in to life with my church family, and I'm not stepping out. Stepping in with these brothers and sisters, and I'm not stepping out. I'm going to be interested in these people, and I'm not going to leave them. That's the hard part for us. Because why? Life is busy. You have your job. You got to go to the grocery store. You have, if your family lives nearby, you got to see your family like three times a week. And then all of a sudden, it's like stacked up on top of each other so high, you go, I don't have time for the church. I'm like, well, I don't know if that's true. I think, you know, you just made your call. So realize what's at your disposal. The Spirit, God's people. And then just ask yourself that question. What is one way that I can step into life more regularly with these people and be interested in them and not have them just be interested in me? It's funny, and I laugh at this, because I'll ask people how they're doing. Hey, how are you doing? What's going on with that? And they'll tell me how they're doing. They go, how are you? And so often, if you've gotten that text from me, I ghost it. Like, I shouldn't ghost it, but I do. Uh, because I want to be like, no, just go be interested in people. You don't have to be interested in me. Like, as long as we're checking up on one another and, and you get the rando, hey, how's it going? What's going on? I'm thinking about you. You don't have to flip it cordially, right? Like, because that person's interested in what's going on in your life. You don't have to go, well, tell me what's going on in yours. Unless, like, it leads that way. But if I ask somebody how they're doing and they tell me and they don't have any interest in what's going on with me, I love it. Not because, not because I don't need to tell people but because they're just receiving interest. They're not in that moment trying to reciprocate. And if they then can go and ask somebody else what's going on with them, somebody in their church family, how are you? How could I pray for you? What, is, you know, what do you need? Are you okay? Can I cook you dinner? If they could just go ask that to one other person, it's awesome. And not do it like when you buy a meal and somebody's like, I got the next one. Like, I, no reciprocation, right? Like, that's not grace. Like, just giving, just giving of yourself to others for the cause of Jesus is awesome. The Lord has for us so much more as a church than we often think. That our vision of what church life really is, and even mine, is so much smaller than what the Lord's vision of life, church life at Genesis really is.